This is Athenia, giving voice to the people who make Athens, Georgia, the unique, weird, and wonderful place we call home. So we're in Joe Brown building, which we are in the stairs that lead to nowhere. So if you're facing the courtyard that's in the middle of Joe Brown, if you go through the entrance, there's stairs that lead up to a painting of what looks like a long hallway, but it actually used to be stairs to the top floor of Joe Brown. So here, Joe Brown used to be a dormitory back in the day, and over Christmas break, the smell started coming out, and when they got back, it was really smelly, really gross, so somebody went in and checked on this guy, and he had hung himself, but had been left to rot the whole Christmas break. So they couldn't get rid of the smell, so they cleaned it up, covered it up, and like all this cleaner, and it would still come back around Christmas time every year, this like rancid smell of rotting flesh. So they ended up having to cover it up because it just kept coming. So they cemented it off, and now we have the stairs that lead to nowhere. And sometimes in the Joe Brown building, they'll actually still smell the rancid smell and nobody knows where it's coming from. But um, people thought maybe it was a raccoon that had crawled under and rotted, but it just keeps coming back always at Christmas. And sometimes even lights will flash on and off. But uh, it's a really cool thing to go up and see the stairs that lead to nowhere because it used to lead to the rooms upstairs. I'm Jenny Alpaw. And I'm Lauren Baggett. And today on Athenia, we're talking about the hauntings and horrors of Athens. The first story was from Savannah Lockman, who's a part of UGA's Student Alumni Association. We have stories from local author Tracy Atkins, a professor who helps us understand horror films, and a look behind the scenes at Zombie Farms. First up, here's reporter Robin McIntyre and her conversation with author Tracy Atkins and local historian Jeff Clark. Every city has stories of supernatural encounters. Author Tracy Atkins found those hauntings intriguing. Well, you know, having lived here for a long time, I'd heard different ghost stories here and there. You know, when I would travel, I would be interested in ghost stories other places, and um, I would go to a, a local bookstore there and ask if they had a collection of local ghost stories, and most places would have that. Um, and so I would buy that. That would be my souvenir for the trip. And so I had this collection of books of ghost stories for different places, but Athens, you know, just never had one. And um, I kept waiting for someone to write the book, and no one ever did, and so I decided that I would have to do it. Tracy's book, Ghost of Athens, details stories of the supernatural in this city. Beginning her quest for these stories, she spoke to historian Jeff Clark. Uh, at the time, I was working here, and uh, she was putting together ghost stories, and uh, she had heard the foundry had a couple of stories, and go talk to Jeff the bartender. Jeff sat down with us at the Graduate Hotel to discuss his experiences with the supernatural. And the interesting thing about Athens, Athens is weird. Not only in this life, but the afterlife. There are so many interesting stories. Um, this place has quite a few uh, hauntings. Uh, working here uh, at the Graduate, at the Foundry, it's, there were several ghosts here. The, um, the music venue has, 
had some strange happenings there. Uh, we talk about it in the book. Also at the Eagle Tavern in Watkinsville, that was probably the big one for me. Um, I, I never believed in ghosts. I always thought, yeah, right. Um, I came in one morning, uh, it was a Saturday morning, and we were going to let uh, some reenactors in. They had the, the dresses and the outfits, and they were going to greet some of our guests. And I go in, unlock the door, turn off the alarm, and turn around, and there is a woman standing there in this dress, this beautiful uh, Annie Bellum dress. It, and it wasn't like an ethereal, smoky, it was like looking at you now. Uh, dark hair, dark eyes, uh, uh, red choker, uh, red or plum dress. And I saw her and I said, hello, thinking it was one of our reenactors. And when I said that, she disappeared. And again, I just went, you know, I'm going to go get a cigarette. I'm going to, I'm going to go wait outside for a minute. Um, so yeah, and that, that kind of got me, you know, well, what if, what if there's something to this? And I'm the person that always looks for the, the logical explanation is, you know, the, the, the sound of footsteps is the house settling. Um, you know, is there, is there a logical explanation? And sometimes when you start peeling away those, well, no, that doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. You get down to the possibility of what if there's something to this. Tracy showed us a spot at the Foundry Bar where Jeff had witnessed several odd occurrences with a ghost and read an excerpt from her book about this location and the others around it. These fascinating remnants are not all that remains of the past in the buildings that make up the Graduate Hotel. It seems a number of previous tenants have chosen to extend their stay. Local historian Jeff Clark is a bartender in the Foundry Bar at Graduate Hotel. I've worked here three years and this is a very cool place to work, he told me. It's got an interesting vibe to it. I've never felt afraid in here, but you get a feeling like you're being watched, like you're not alone in here. In the Foundry Bar area, hotel staff sometimes see a strange man. I've seen him a few times out of the corner of my eye. He's about my height and has blonde or gray hair. Jeff recounted one such time when he encountered the man late one night. At the end of the night, after a shift, it's usually quiet. You can count up money from the till and do closing paperwork without distractions. But one night, I was under the distinct impression that someone was in here with me. I was at the bar doing my paperwork and restocking the bar when I heard the door rattle. I looked over but didn't see anything. A few seconds later, I saw some movement out of the corner of my eye. For that split second, I was not alone in here. I saw somebody out of the corner of my eye. One of the hotel security guards mentioned to Jeff that he also gets the feeling in the ballroom that there's someone in the room with him. He comes in and leaves pretty quickly. He times his activities in here to happen while there's someone else present. Then we all leave together. Jeff's not sure of the identity of the man that lurks in the ballroom, but he doubts it is tied to the earlier fire at the foundry. There's no record of anyone dying in the fire here. If not motivated by a tragic demise, perhaps the spirit has other happier motivations. If I were going to haunt some place, it would be a place like this, Jeff told me enthusiastically. There's young people here, there's live music, there's activity. That's what I would want to do, watching all the laughing and dancing going on instead of hiding in some musty old building. Haunting this place would be cool. A lady I know says you can drive by the hotel late at night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Ain't nobody in the rooms and every light can be off downstairs, but that one light will be on in the very last room on the bottom corner. 
That's 119. Lots of people say that. Take a notice one night when you come up that road early in the morning. Laura Deadweiler agrees that something is odd about 119. She informed me that room 119 always causes phone trouble at the front desk. It lights up like a call is coming from that room, but no one is booked in 119 or staying in that room. This happens so often that they remove the phone entirely from the room. Afterward, everyone was floored when lights for calls from room 119 still happened. People staying in that room commonly want to change rooms, Laura said. Miss Lucy's family ties to the location are diverse as well. Her niece worked at the hotel back when it was called History Village. She said a lady got killed back then in the hall by room 225, Lucy said. They don't know if she was murdered or killed herself, but she died. For four years, I used to be on that back hall by myself doing double beds. I know nobody was back there because everything was empty. I'd walk down through there to get my cart, and when I got to 225, somebody was singing. I thought somebody left the TV on in the room. Sometimes, when somebody is cleaning and takes their lunch break, they'll sit with the TV on. But I'm like, wait a minute, ain't nobody supposed to be in these rooms. I had my key and opened the door. That room was just as clean, no TV on, no radio. I shut the door back and went around and got my cart. I went on down through there to do the rooms on that side, and then I heard the singing again. I said, somebody is singing. I started opening doors to check for a TV left on, all the way from 220 to 225. When I got to 225 and opened the door, they stopped singing. I shut the door back and eased on around with my cart. Then I thought, I don't think I'm going back to put the cart up, because every time I started around, you could hear somebody singing. She could have been standing there looking right at me. I shut the door up, came back around the corner to do my room at 2.34, and they were singing again. I don't know who it was. For more on the hauntings in Athens, you can get Tracy's book, Ghost of Athens, on Amazon. Also, she will be reading excerpts from her book at the Graduate Hotel on November 1st with trivia and a viewing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Her book will be for sale in the lobby as well. In the next segment, reporter Angela Higginson discovers why we're drawn to horror films and the monsters in them. My name is Christopher Sieving. I'm an associate professor of uh, film studies in the theater and film studies department. And I've been doing a version of this class since about 2006. Uh, The class is called Genre Cinema, the Horror Film. Students are invested in this topic probably more than any other topic that I teach. Because everybody either really likes horror films or they don't care at all for horror films. But even those who don't like horror films think they're interested at least in in the, the psychological process that they go through and that that their friends go through. Why is it that people seek out films that they know are are going to cause them negative emotions when obviously in real life people would tend to avoid those kinds of experiences and emotions? And how is it, you know, according to some of the scholars that uh, that we read, how is it that people can feel real emotions from experiencing a work of fiction. How is it, how is it that we can feel scared uh, in a theater watching a horror film when we know 
that what's on the screen isn't real, and we know that vampires aren't real and zombies aren't real, how is it then that we actually can have psychological and physical reactions? And the first scholar to really treat the horror film as a topic that is you know, just as worthy of study as any other, uh, any other topic in film studies uh, is probably Robin Wood, who wrote uh, a very famous essay in the late 70s called An Introduction to the American Horror Film. And he laid out his theory of, of horror, why he feels you know, people uh, seek out horror, and ultimately you know, he came up with, with this notion that you know, horror films are all about uh, normality being threatened by the monster. Uh, and then there are, I guess, philosophers like Noel Carroll, who wrote what is still probably the, the most interesting theoretical study of, of the horror film, The Philosophy of Horror, where he talks about a variety of, of reasons for why people want to experience emotions that they feel are, are negative. He talks about the sources of pleasure and fascination that are represented by the monster. To him, the monster is interesting because the monster is, is interstitial. The monster is impure. It crosses categorical boundaries, biological boundaries, boundaries between living and dead, between man and woman, between um, man and animal, uh, etc. And this is what makes them disgusting, which he says is, is an important component of the horror film, of the horror monster, of why we're scared by the, uh, by the, by the monster, or, or why we're fascinated by the monster. The monster, for Carol, is, is a being, an impossible being, that is both disgusting and fearsome. If you take away the disgusting component, then you might have a thriller instead of a horror film. If you take away the fear component, then then you just you know you're just grossed out, but you're not particularly scared. But Wood was mostly interested in films in which normality and the monster were shown to be much closer than we like to think that they are. Uh, and he, he reads a lot of horror films as being code for fear of the other, uh, the other usually meaning oppressed groups, non-white, non-male, non-straight. And in his opinion, the best horror films uh, show that the whole idea of, of there being a, a, a solid boundary line between us and the other is just an illusion. We end this spooky episode with reporter Jake Troyer's first trip to Athens' favorite haunted trail. Actually, I had never been to a haunted house or a haunted trail until I did it. And my parents were very religious, so we do, she was like, my mom was like, we do not celebrate the devil's holiday. So she was very intense about not celebrating Halloween. And, you know, some people do their own little trick-or-treat thing but and wear costumes. So I did it anyway because I needed extra cash. And um, now I do see it very different. It's just like I've been in a play or a musical. It's about telling a story. It's about a bunch of actors. And it's a variety of people from... 16 to about 50 or 60 years old. 
Um, so it's all about an ensemble in a, in a show. And I didn't know that at first. I, I just thought it was just some weird stuff and some bloody makeup and some demonic possession or, or some combo of all of the above. But actually, it's just like a play. It's just like theater. You're putting on a show and you're, you're giving, and the audience is actually just more interactive. That's Snarky Norton. He's the actor manager for Zombie Farms. Athens' annual haunted trail located just on the other side of the Oglethorpe County line. Zombie Farms is the brainchild of locals Patrick and Cynthia McDonald. Five seasons in, and it's still running strong. With a new theme every year, Narky says the trail is designed to scare and entertain. Having never done anything like Zombie Farms before in my life, I decided to drag my producer Lauren along to opening night on Friday the 13th. All right, Jake, you ready? <laughs> as ready as I'll ever be. We'd just gotten off the bus, and were waiting in the woods to go through the very first door. Lauren and I were trying to calm our nerves with some small talk. If someone got too close to you, do you think you would hit them, or you would, like, run? Oh, I would, like, ball up in a corner. That would be what I would do. <laughs> we also teach distance, because people are using fight or flight <laughs> in a haunted trail or a haunted house, so we also got to teach... If you're a little too up close and personal, you might get punched in the face. So therefore, don't get up in their face. Learn how to scare from a distance. Learn how to scare when you're close. But once they cross the boundary, we got to teach them you know, how to keep their distance. There's a lot of buildup before you actually enter the trail. We learned we were volunteers heading into the Omega Corporation. Are you ready for your re-education? Yes. You'll be reborn here at the professor's house. Are you aware of that? And with that, we were off. Brace yourselves for our screams. Wait for it. As we crawled through fake spider webs and squeezed through broken fences, it became very clear how much planning and thought goes into the trail. So heavily the preparation is done with Patrick and Cynthia. So Patrick has all of the ideas. So we let's say we finish the season now, November, right? Cynthia makes Patrick swear that he cannot think about zombie farms until after Christmas <laughs> because most people don't realize that he's thinking about it all year round. So that's what he's into. He's building, he's doing the concepts, he's doing the themes, they're running the budgets. But the actors don't really get to see things in motion till the summer. We were surprised when Narky told us the cast only has one big dress rehearsal. But as you'll hear, it's still very effective. I think we're almost at the end, I hope. <laughs> the very end. The very end, 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 end. Oh, God. Oh, God. Go, Lauren, go.
we would not all be here in Zombie Farms if it wasn't for a love story. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you were aware, but Patrick and Cynthia, they were like high school sweethearts. And he was actually the one who really loved Halloween. Um, he loved Halloween. He loved being spooky. And he always dreamed about doing some sort of haunted house or haunted trail since high school. So for her, she always says this is just something he's dreamed about since high school. And now she gets to help bring his vision uh, to pass. So he loves it. And um, he really likes giving people a chance who, who are hired. So sometimes we have people who are the outcast, who are older, who may not be the number one person in other situations or other auditions, but he really does like to give people a chance because he likes having a large family. And I think he sees himself in them too, and that he wasn't he was the nerd in high school. He did Dungeons and Dragons when it wasn't popular. <laughs> so um, I think that's a cool thing that it was just because, you know, it was a dream of his a long time ago and now she wants to help and it's been five seasons. So if it wasn't for that, he, I would not have survived some of my undergrad experience because every time um, something happened financially that I needed, Zombie Farms was there to help with working and being able to do that. But also, it's clearly not about the money anymore. It's just because I love it. And a lot of the actors return every year because of the same reason. Zombie Farms is open every weekend in October. You can get tickets at the gate or online at zombiefarms.com. You've been listening to Athenia. Reach out to us through our email, radioathenia at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook if you have a great Athens story that you want to share. Thanks to Nick Malice for our theme music, and thanks to Nick Simmons for the music you're listening to now. Our team includes Jenny Alpaw, Lauren Baggett, Sarah Dupuis, Savannah Flynn, Angela Higginson, Shannon Hoshield, Robin McIntyre, Kara Pemberton, Jake Troyer, and Alex Vandenhoogle. This has been Athenia. Thanks for listening.